0: Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. For this episode, I'm calling it my financial power hour. I have two different guests who care about your financial future one through financial freedom, the other through saving for retirement. Robert Raymond Riapel is the first guest. And Mike Duffy says he's in the Happiness Hall of Fame and he's the second guest. You'll get to meet them both right after this. I love a good home project, don't you? I think that's what we all learned during the pandemic. And then we got to be experts and we needed a place to shop. Well, I've got a guy and an entire family here in Little Rock, Arkansas, who can help you. And the folks at Acle's Carpet One Floor and Home can help you with more than the project. They can help you with the math, they can help you with saving money, and they can help you with the design. I know that because I'm a customer. I'm working with them right now on a project. Can't wait to get a backsplash for my kitchen. And it's the small, it's Dow Tile is the name of the manufacturer and they're stainless steel, real contemporary looking. Uh, Courtney Akel, Erica Akel, Richard Akel, all the Akels are working on this project for me. And that's what I love about shopping there. You'll feel the same way when you go, you get a free estimate. You can go to AkelsCarpet1.com and uh, go ahead and communicate with them. And then, you know, they'll beat the big box store prices. Booyah! No one else does that. You'll love their customer service. AkelsCarpet1.com
1: she won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said
2: Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher.
0: Okay, talk let's talk about success just a moment and what you know about success. Kind of tell me your journey and then I know you're a book author, a podcaster, all the things, but tell me about your journey to success.
1: Well, here in central Alberta where I grew up, I was grown up in a what's called a redneck community. The town I really grew up in is called Red Deer, and its nickname was Redneck Red Deer. (laughs) And So I grew up in a box. I grew up in a box. It was like you find a job, and if you can get in the oil field, that's good. But remember, the oil field goes up and down. And just no matter whether you like the job or not, you do it to take care of your family, especially if it's paying you and it gives you stability. But at 21, I'd been laid off from three different jobs, and I'm going, something's not right here. And I ended up starting delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza because that's the only job I could find. I, Because of my work ethic, I became a manager. My wife became my assistant manager. A year and a half later, we had the opportunity to buy the store we were working in. But the one problem is, Lisa, we didn't have any money. But one of the things we do have is passion and tenacity. And we made a lot of mistakes learning how can you buy a business if you don't have money. And about four months after starting to learn, making a lot of mistakes. We actually bought both the stores my franchisee had for sale, and we did it with 100% financing, so no money of our own, and we became franchisees, and it's like, whoa, we've got it made. It's like, oh, and (laughs) here's the problem though, you talk about success. We knew how to run a store, but we didn't know how to run a business, and there's two totally big differences there, and for about two years, we struggled, we made it through, and then we finally learned, have things like an accountant, that's important. Thinking we could do it on yeah. our own. Yeah. <laughs> you Lisa, our, our running um thing was for being successful. If we had money in the bank, we must be doing okay. That's how we deemed for the first couple of years until we got an accountant. And as we started making more money, we actually started spending more money. And you probably know no one that ever does that, right, Lisa? Right. You've never made it. Right, met anyone. <laughs> right,
0: right. You're the only <laughs> people ever.
1: That's what I thought. See, in, at eight years of being franchisees, we're now hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt and going down quickly and that's when we were introduced to personal development we went into a three-day weekend right here where I am actually right now in Red Deer, Alberta we walked into the weekend we learned why we're in debt more importantly we took ownership that we were the ones responsible for that debt don't blame other people and then third we learned some specific skills that if we want to get out of debt and we did what most people won't we left the weekend and we actually took action we started putting action steps into place you know unfortunately in North America only three percent of people will ever use the information they've learned that's it and we put it into play and next thing you know we were able to actually go from being over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt to actually retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32.
0: Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so something happened. You won the Canadian lottery between that amount of time or something really wonderful happened. You 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 invented something, right? I mean, how how nope. did you pay off that debt in that amount of time?
1: Uh, see, notice where your mind went. Your mind said, how did you pay off that debt? But that's where we had learned the definition of financial freedom is when you have something called passive income, which we didn't know what it was. Money working for you instead of you or business working instead of you. If you have enough passive income to pay for your current lifestyle, your expenses, then you're financially free. So one of the major things my wife and I did is we dramatically, we looked at our life and said, all these toys that we have, what don't we need right now that if we got rid of them and the expenses, we could bring that down. And then we started learning about passive income at the same time. And so it only took nine months for the two to surpass each other. And we were technically, and we made a lot of hard decisions. We were technically financially free which means we didn't have to work. But we weren't rich and we still had debt, but we had enough to service those. But what it did give us was so cool. We went from working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week in our stores to earn a living to all of a sudden having all that time freed up because now we weren't working. And Lisa, if you had an extra 50 hours a week to do with whatever you want, do you think that would make a big difference in your life? Well, of course. Yeah. It would make so all we started the learning... Right. So we learned more and more, but we dedicated 10 hours a week to actually focus on creating wealth because we realized we had started off half an hour a day for five days a week on focusing our wealth creation on it, getting financially free. And so now that we're financially free, now it's like, how do we create wealth? And by actually committing 10 hours a week to wealth creation, creating the wealth became so much easier. And so I tell all my students around the world, don't try and create wealth first. Get financial freedom first because that gives you the time freedom to now have the energy to actually create wealth. Big difference. And when we saw the results in our life, I it's like if this much information gave us that much result, what would more do? And we started learning from as many people as we could. I'm a big believer. Don't just learn one way. Learn from as many people as you can. Pull the clues from them to success that works in your life. And I found my passion was to be a trainer. So for the last 18 and a half years, I've been blessed to travel around the world and personally teach over half a million people in about 30 different countries how to actually create financial freedom in their life. Because I believe if I could even help one person do what my wife and I did, it'd make it all worthwhile.
0: So what is your elevator definition then of financial freedom? We automatic or my brain automatically thinks that means being debt free. So yeah, explain to me the difference.
1: Yeah. So if your passive income, which is money working instead of you, investments, business, anything that's paying you money, and you don't, it's not that you never look at it, but it's not you having to do the work to actively get it. Right. Okay. So if that amount of money coming in every single month is enough to pay your current expenses monthly, if it's exceeding those expenses, you're now financially free.
0: No matter what the debt load is on it. So let's say you have rental property or just for example yep. just because I'm thinking of a debt ratio there. You have a, a debt ratio with a rental property yet you're making way more than you owe on the note. Did I just then create fina-
1: You created passive positive income? cash flow. Okay. Well, yes that, and that's positive cash flow and so now say you're okay. making $300 a month positive cash flow that $300 could be going towards paying off your day to day expenses right. So like your mortgage, your your car payments, all that. And so my wife and I had actually found two online passive incomes. And because, and the other key part though is we simplified our life so much. Everybody in their life wants instant gratification. That's what got us into trouble. We had all the toys. And so we said, what don't we need? So we sold a boat that we were never using, but we had a boat because we were successful. We sold mm-hmm. a car. We were always working together. We only needed one car but we had two vehicles because that's what successful people do in our minds, right? Right. So we dramatically got rid of all the expenses and there was a lot of things that were going, but we really want that. And the question is, do we actually need it right now at this time in our life? And so by simplifying our life, the passive income didn't have to work as hard to try and pay for those expenses. That's the magic.
0: Okay. Do you then look at the passive income back to the debt ratio? Just because I know money is cheap now, interest rates have been low. All these people, at least in the U.S., i S I'm sure in Canada too, it's a seller's market with real estate. And so people are then getting more properties because interest rates are still low. Now I know that's all, it's not going to end well, I think for us, it kind of worries me, but when money is cheap, then do you not worry about paying that off? Or, or well, but just because I've been trained to
1: pay off debt. Yes, there's good debt and there's bad debt. There, there's And so if you've got low interest rates and you're buying properties, A, make sure they're positive cash flow. Because okay. so many people, why they fall into problems is they go, I've got this loan and it's super cheap and even if I don't have renters, it's only costing me a couple hundred dollars a month to own it. But if it's costing you money out of your pocket, that's negative cash flow. And if all of a sudden interest rates go up, you're in deep trouble. But if you've got a property, and this is the beautiful thing, no matter where the interest rates go, if it's positive cash flow, then you're still doing good because you're able to make all the payments and have money left over. So that's what—that's the big difference. So in the 2008 crash, the reason so many people, they were focusing on the equity in their house, thinking that's what would save them. But all of a sudden the prices went way down and they weren't able to pull that equity out and they ended up losing it, foreclosures, bankruptcies all that.
0: Well, how did you handle that? How did you all sail through that crisis? Was your, you had the passive income, but then you weren't relying on the equity. What was your debt ratio load then on those things?
1: Well, for me actually in 2008, right as the crash happened, I ended up taking three and a half years off because my wife and I, we had created financial freedom in 2002, so we haven't had to work for money for a lot of years. And so in 2008, I was burnt out, though, from overtraining. And th- and I went through two back surgeries because I forgot to take care of me. See, when we talk about success, it's not just money. It's the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and financial. And I learned the hard way that I was living my passion, but I was overliving it. I herniated a disc in my back because I wasn't taking care of myself. And so when I took one year off, which was the plan... It ended up being three and a half years because of two back surgeries and going through the burnout. And thank goodness, the one thing I wasn't worried about was money because we had a number of different passive incomes. So we've been set for a while because we're always, when we look at passive income, we now structure. We didn't know it in the beginning. Our first couple, they weren't permanent. They were instant, quick, and then they were gone. But they got us into other passive incomes, and now we know how to structure them so that even if I'm not around or my wife's not around, they still perform. And that's what's made all the difference. So when the crash happened, it didn't impact our life. And we in fact took three and a half years off at that time.
0: Is real estate one of your go-tos then for passive income or what, give me some other ideas. That's, I'm short-sighted and that's just what I think of.
1: Yeah, yeah, When I'm thinking, oh,
0: passive income.
1: Yeah, passive income, real estate's a good one. Stock market, if you have it systemized and you know what you're doing is a good one. Um, cryptos nowadays just make sure the biggest thing about any passive income take ownership of your decisions so most people they go well they lost my money they're the ones that made the bad decision and invested it and it's like no you're the one that gave them the money so even if you're not doing all your investments yourself you have to know enough and do your own due diligence so that you know if the person who's managing your money knows what they're doing so it can be for anything that's giving you an interest rate, so stock market, um, real estate. In real estate, one of the things I love is I love being a second mortgagee. I love being the bank and giving second mortgages because I get a higher interest rate oh. and yes, I'm second to the bank if something happens, but I make sure because there's systems in place, we wouldn't lend money to someone as a second mortgage unless there was more than enough equity and you know for us to be able to take care of things if something went south with the client and that's all in systems right. So even our domo's pizza. So you
0: do the financing then well you do the financing then for people see I don't understand how that works and so do you have the same legal stretch that a bank does and repossessing if they don't pay I mean can just humans do that on their own?
1: Absolutely if the bank ends up, if a person quits paying their mortgage, the bank's the first ones they that come in. They get the first right. So what a second mortgagee means is the, um, they get the second right. Now, if a bank, though, is going, oh, my goodness, this person's not paying the mortgage, if they, they don't want to foreclose that they don't have to. And because I would get um, notification, we actually have the right to come up to the bank and say, hey, we'll take over the mortgage payments. And then that gives us the right to actually go in and sell the house, pay the bank off, and make a profit even off of after recouping our investment depending and that's why it's all about the systems i wouldn't i wouldn't do a second mortgage on a house where if the person walked away from it we'd lose a big chunk there's got to be enough equity in there that the bank could be paid off we could be paid off and if we ended up taking over it we would make a profit by selling
0: okay so now with this i mean unprecedented sellers market is <laughs> this <laughs> This, so, if a seller's market and I'm buying, I could get screwed. So, now's not the time to jump into a, not in my that opinion. type of acquisition. Right.
1: No. In a couple of years, it's going to be a investor's dream, in my opinion. When those okay. interest rates start going back up. See, one of the things that you have a benefit though in the U.S. is I found this out from one of my business partners. You can actually lock in these low interest rates for 25, um, the entire Uh, time of the uh, the mortgage in Canada we can maybe go five years if we're lucky 10 years and then we have to renew oh Oh, yeah so we might be a 25 year amortization but our mortgage is only locked in at the interest rate for five years six years seven years that's it well
0: Okay, so we used to have those, they were called ARMS, adjustable rate mortgages, right? And that, would, and, but I know anyone, of any financial sense would say, don't do them or do them for a year or two, but hop out and get whatever the rate is. So is that what your Canadian banking system is based on?
1: Well, they, we here, and I'm not, a, let me be clear, I'm not a real estate expert. I have a lot of great advisors that, you know, I know enough to know about making the investments and whether it's a good deal or not. But here we can have a variable rate where it's fluctuating as the interest rates fluctuate or we can lock in and get a fixed rate. But again, the fixed rate's only good for the life of the term. So they may say one year fixed, is this a percentage? Three year is a little higher, five years a little higher, stuff like that, yeah.
0: So what are your, because our interest rates are still low, where of course uh, the Fed sets those who, does the queen set yours? Like, who set yours?
1: <laughs> no, our our, our our Fed does ours as well. Bank okay. of Canada. Yeah.
0: And yeah. Are, are they comparable to U.S. rates? I don't know anything about international money. I barely know about Arkansas yeah. money. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, yeah, no, they're about the same. Um, like, I hey, I just redid a mortgage on my acreage, and we took it from 5.2%, which was high for me, down to 1.85. So yeah. I'm a happy man. Right. So, yeah.
0: So and, in and, our and lifetime. When you talk about, go ahead. Yeah. Well, i was just thinking in our lifetime, remember in, in the U.S. in the 70s, we saw unprecedented then inflation and interest rates were like 16, 18, 20 percent. Yeah. And with this dip that we're having now, I just heard on the radio the other day, they were just saying it, it looks like interest rates are going to start creeping up. So do you think that, I mean, like what's your projection? You're saying in a couple of years, it will be the investors then coming in, but the investors will have to have the money to pay the interest if they want to finance it, right?
1: Well, yes and no. There's so much money out there. So much money that, um, you know, here's the reality. The reason I'm saying people are going to get in trouble is not just because they're buying houses right now. But because of a lot of the things that the government did to help people through COVID, instead of people being prudent, a lot of people bought ridiculous things. Like here in Alberta, you could not find an RV because they were all bought. And the prices were like houses in the US, right, where people were paying more than what the RV price was. And so it's like, really? Okay, you're not working. Sure, you got something from the government to help get you through. So how are you going to plan on keep paying that RV payment if you can't find work and the subsidies quit, but people aren't thinking about that. That's where the problem's going to come in, right? So as an investor, I'm going, hey, I love my lifestyle, but I'm going to be practical about it. <laughs> you know, my wife and I, we have an RV, but we bought a secondhand one and we bought it like we've had one for 20 years, but we bought a smaller one for our little weekend getaways. And, it, you know, we paid cash for it. I don't want to have to have a debt on it. And so that if all of a sudden things go south, I'm not going, oh, how am I gonna make that monthly payment? Well, but it's not a brand new one. I don't need a brand new one. I need one that allows me to sit, sleep in it, go by the campfire, enjoy life with family. That's what I need, right? But, right. which is a big switch for right. me, Lisa, because in the, when I was younger, what got me into the problems is was I was looking at all the shiny objects and wanting new. I don't want mm-hmm. se- something secondhand and I was paying the price for it, and boy, did I pay the price for it.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, in our youth, we did think that, and that's why in our youth, we were a salesman's dream, but as we've aged, all of us, and we've realized then that we don't have to have it. So then as you, as an investor, are you then scanning the landscape for those people who can't keep the RV payment? would you then go in, is that part of your strategy? I know that sounds, I'm oversimplifying anything you do, but is that something that people (laughs) do in a time when things are fluctuating?
1: They can and a lot of investors do, but for me, I never wanna create wealth based on someone else's pain. So I I take kind of the um, playbook from one of my students who had gone through, because he had gone through a, a brain tumor that he wasn't supposed to make it through, His family got financially wiped out with all the medical bills and that. Well, when he got through it and started recovering, because he was an expert in real estate, he said, you know what, I never want a family to go through what mine did, getting foreclosed on. So what he does is he actually finds foreclosures, but instead of taking over the property and kicking the people out, he goes to them and says, look, before the foreclosure goes through fully, sell me the house so that we can get you out of foreclosure. he will make a profit, yes, but here's what he does. He says, I want you to stay in this house for the next three years and I'm gonna educate you on how to rebuild your credit so that you strengthen it over the next three years. We'll set a price today that if you want to buy the house back, once your credit's back to good, you can buy it back at a good price, not an outrageous price, a good price, meaning even if the market's gone back up and you were to make a huge profit, you get to make the profit because we agreed on the price in the beginning. If after three years you don't want to buy the house, no problem. And so he's educated and helped so many families stay in their home, rebuild their credit, and the ones that buy back from them, some of them have made like they've had an extra 100000 in equity because the value of properties went up during that time, and he still sells it to them at the agreed-upon price when they sold it to him. Like to me, that's the way I like to do things how do you help people while you create wealth instead of how do you take advantage of people to create wealth? Because there are people that do take advantage of people in tough positions. I just choose not to be one of those.
0: Well, you and he are very generous then with your time in teaching people because I guess that's your whole approach too is educating people. And I know your book is Success Left a Clue so then tell me some of the other clues, some of the other things, and I know part of your website and we'll have all these links in the show notes that you give weekly success tips, I guess.
1: Clues, I yeah. guess you leave
0: yeah. clues. So, so tell me some other clues that you can share with us.
1: Yeah, like one, um, one of the biggest reasons people struggle is they look at a system. They, they, want, they say, like if I was to say, I wanna be a broadcaster and an interviewer. Well, Lisa, you've been doing it for years you probably have a system. And you might say, yeah, Robert, here's the steps to do it. And I, my mind will naturally go, oh, I've got to do it my way. I can't just follow that system. And there's a whole reason why that goes on in our minds. So we want to reinvent the wheel. And so one of my clues is if you want to reinvent the wheel, do it later. Do it later. Follow the system, get the success. And then once you've got the success, if you still want to reinvent, then reinvent, because you have the success. But most people try to reinvent right away, and they wonder why they struggle and get frustrated. So that would be one of the clues I have in my book. And another one that changes my. Now, are you? Well, here's my, one oh,
0: question: Do you, do you, and your wife still then own um, restaurant franchises? Is that something that you still? Because you had to learn no. the hard way on a couple of things. Okay, you got out of that business altogether. Okay.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel blessed for the lessons I learned, but with what I know now. I would never do that kind of retail business the way we did again. I would do it in a totally different way um, but all the lessons we learned were a huge blessing in making us who we are today. So no, no no restaurants, and no franchises.
0: It's hard, it's it's tough. It's, yeah. it's very difficult. Okay, so what was one of your other um, clues, success clues?
1: Yeah, something that really anchored in my very first trip ever to India. Choose to be happy. You know, I arrived in India after major floods in Mumbai, and I thought, wow, how are they still putting on an event? How are they still going to have a 1,000 students for me? Because it's only a couple weeks after the flooding. And here in Alberta, that would have shut everything down for months. But here they were up and running, and I was on a walk. When I go to a country for the first time especially, I like to hop on transit or something and just experience it before I'm known before I can't walk around. <laughs> and I'm walking around and all of a sudden my mind started noticing that, oh, it's dirty here. And a lot of that was extra expounded because of the, the flooding. But then I, when I noticed how I was looking at things, I stopped and I went, wait a second, look for the beauty here. And I started noticing that there were happier people there with compared to what I have, nothing. But yet they were happier than so many people in North America who have everything.
0: Okay, Robert, so the challenge then with someone like you that does this all over the solar system, things were brought to a halt in everybody's life in some respect. I'm not making an overstatement. I would say everybody was affected March 10th of 2020. uh, That's the last time I turned the TV news on. I'll tell you that. You know why? To protect my mental health. Tell me then, because you're a very positive person too, how you then handled what you do since it's always been preaching to the masses, how you were gonna change things. How did you reinvent yourself?
1: Yeah, so after, cause my wife and I went into that. We actually got ourselves sick thinking, do we have this coronavirus? What is it? My wife refused to isolate me, so she took care of me and got sick herself. And it's like, we're, I was just in India, oh my God. And so yeah, so after we got through that over a couple of weeks, we did those two powerful words, what's next? And my wife said, you've been wanting to go digital for years, flying less, that's why we bought this property. I know we're planning on building our training center five or six years down the road. Why don't we build it now? You're home. We have the time. And see, in the time where a lot of people were in fear, Lisa, going, I got to hold back because we don't know what's going to go in. My wife and I said, we're all in. We're all in. And so we started putting the plans together. And in December, we broke ground. Last December, um, we broke ground on our training center attached to our house and in about a week I get to move into my brand new studio with 1500 square foot training center office all um, wired for audio visual I can do live trainings virtual trainings we've got a 900 square foot addition onto that for you know support and prep and my students will now come to travel even as the world opens back up my students will come to me instead of me traveling all of the world to them and so I'm I'm excited about that because it's something we wanted to do down the road and COVID sped that up for us. So it's like, excellent. And and reinvention is one of the things. Look at the companies that are no longer here that were here, big companies 50 years ago, but they refuse to reinvent. And so a person's always gotta be willing, what's next? Keep asking those questions and that's how you'll stay with the curve, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm, I've made no secret to my age. I'm not in my 40s anymore. Um, long time broadcaster and now I'm a health coach because at my age, I thought, what could, not not because I'm trying to, I don't know. I, I I was doing it because I want something fun to do. I always want something yes. fun to do. I, w- I want to exist. I, I want to communicate with people, but you, I would assume are an extrovert. Now you could be a talkative introvert. I understand that, but what I would miss, what I missed about doing things virtually was I still like human interaction and I felt like this screen didn't really give it to me. How did you deal with that?
1: Well, just a lot of learning. When I do a Zoom training now, like tomorrow I'll run a two-day mastermind from uh, about 200 participants around the world and I will be standing. I will be energized. I will be, you know, I won't be sitting because I've learned that's that's me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, but also, you know, it's funny, March 10th is when I landed home from India. Exactly one year later to the day, March 10th, 2021, I did my first trip in a year and I went to Dubai to do a live training. And in the moment I got back in front of a live audience, it re-anchored in that live trainings will not go away because it is that, I'm in the audience all the time when I'm teaching. I'm down off the stage, I'm talking to, with my students, I'm impacting their life. So I missed, I realized how much I missed it when I went to do that training back in, in this past March and it was like, yep. So now the difference is I'll do a lot of virtual, I'll make them highly interactive, but I'll still do one or two trainings a year somewhere else in the world live to keep that part of my passion because what you said, Lisa, is the key. I'm too old. One of my biggest things is <laughs> if you don't enjoy doing what you're doing, do something else. And if I can teach people and get across to them, find your passion, find a way to do what you love and make some money doing it. Then you wake up in the morning going, yes, I'm ready for today. Even if you're not feeling well, even if it's not the greatest day. So that's how I live my life. I love to wake up in the morning going, oh, I'm ready. Instead of, oh, I got to go to work again. Yeah,
0: uh, you're the Tony Robbins of Canada. I mean, you're pressing the flesh, getting people pumped up. You're smiling. I don't. I bet you don't cuss as much as he does. He cusses a lot because I've I've been a part of just um, you know virtual things with him and um, the guy in New Jersey that my son Gary V.
1: Yeah, Gary V. Yeah.
0: Uh, oh my gosh, the profanities! I, I'm again. I, I'm telling my age. You get up in years like I do, and I just don't want to hear all the bad language. So. Uh, old fashioned that I am, but I love what you're doing. New fashion. That's what you are. You're thinking of new ways to invent yourself, reinvent yourself. And for anyone listening, they can do the same thing. I've got all the information about you in the show notes. God bless your brother. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep encouraging people and let's all earn. I wrote it down. Passive income.
1: Yeah. And you know, Lisa, I'd love to give a gift to your audience for you having me on your show. Okay. My, my book Success Left a Clue that I published in 2017 if they just go to my website robertriopelle.com they can actually download the digital version of it as a gift from us because you were so gracious to have me on your show and now it it does come with a caveat though see it's not a book to read and put up on the shelf and make shelf help that's not what it's meant for I cover six steps on how to create the life you want step number three is take action so I wrote it as a workbook So all the way through it's got action steps and I'll actually say, do not read any further until you've completed this action. And then the next chapter I say, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading now, go back and do the action. Because that's how people will change their lives and take it to the direction they wanna go.
0: A little segue here to talk more about the health coaching that I mentioned. I am a student at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and if anything about investing both financially in your future and in your health sounds appealing to you, I want you to go to the show notes and click on the link to get more information about IIN. Health coaching, it is the future, friends. Major news organizations are focusing on this fact as the amount of people with health issues, I'm talking really serious health issues, continues to grow. So we need more health coaches to help steer them to good health. You can be the conduit to get them there. I chose the six-month program. My daughter chose the year-long program. Either way, we'll have our health certifications in no time. I love my classes at IIN, and it has helped me get healthier. Now, get ready for your second guest of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. Mike Duffy says he's in the Happiness Hall of Fame, and he's coming right up. Okay, Mike Duffy, the Happiness Hall of Fame, which who knew there was one, because I wanna be inducted. Uh, You're there in Northern California, but you do more than, uh, you share the happiness, Mike, by telling people how to maybe get some financial freedom. Is that, you think, the best conduit to happiness?
2: Well, you know, no one, a lot of people that you interview about happiness completely ignore the money component as if it doesn't exist, right? Money is very important to happiness. It doesn't mean that it will make you happy, but if you're unemployed and you have no money coming in, you're not going to be happy. So I deal in the realm of reality. Also, studies show that, you know, there was a famous Princeton study that showed that in the United States, if you could make $70,000 for a family of four, you would have the same happiness as Warren Buffett. So you don't have to go crazy with money, but you do need to have money. And you also need to have money when you stop working. So a lot of Americans don't save. You've got to spend less than you make and you've got to save for when you're retired.
0: Well, you're going to be the least popular guest I've ever had. You're going to have us spend less money. We were, were, I was hoping you would tell me how to spend more money today. No, 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 no. I know that that's not it. How did you get into the financial realm and then how did you start employing happiness with it?
2: So uh, it was my first job out of college. I have a degree in psychology. I never thought, I didn't know the difference between a stock and a bond. I I truly didn't. (laughs) You mean there is
0: one? (laughs) right?
2: And you know, I never took one business class in school. And we were coming out of a recession. It was the only job that was available to me. And I worked for Payne Weber, which is now UBS. I was the absolute bottom of the rung. I was a sales <laughs> assistant making $23,000 a year. You know, I couldn't afford to put cheese on my sandwich because I was paying <laughs> Upper East Side Manhattan rent. You right. Know, every penny was accounted for. Right. And, um, you know, I, I learned from the best. Right. Uh, You know, I would watch the corner office guys. How did they speak? How did they manage the money? What kind of research did they do? How did they take care of their clients? I modeled them. And then eventually I became a corner office guy.
0: So were you Wall Street or Midtown at that point? I was Midtown.
2: I okay. was right across from Radio City Musical.
0: Yeah, right, oh, I know exactly where that is. So the vibe is a little different from the Wolf of Wall Street kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe the language is still as bad, uh-huh. um, but your learning curve then included, so you're a salesman too, right? You, those people, no. oh, they're not hustling the business on the phone?
2: No, a sales assistant is a secretary.
0: Oh, uh, that was That's it, so you're- That's how the business. You were, you were getting coffee, you are going across the street to um, one of the fancy coffee places, getting coffee, bringing it back.
2: Like- well, it wasn't that. I, but here's a funny story that people don't understand. In 1991, before the internet, I would spend from nine o'clock in the morning till roughly 11 to 12 o'clock, writing in a book <laughs> all of the trades from the next day. I would have to write Pepsi, what what uh-huh. what you know what it was bought for, and we used fractions, not decimals. It was like the medieval times. It really is, with a chisel. You practically had a chisel. Yeah, I spent hours every day. So I got to know because to the right was when you sold it. so And then I had to do the math to see how much the client made. So I was intimately familiar with the machinations of the stock market.
0: So your psychology degree helped you how much? None at all? Zero. Okay.
2: No, that's but, what I but what it did help me, and I'm very grateful I have a degree in psychology. It helped me understand where the client was coming from, how to reach their needs, how to understand them, how to calm them down when the market went into a downward spiral that looked like it was never going to come out. You see, the stock market is like a bucking bronco. You get on it, and all it wants to do is to get you to sell, 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 sell. There's always a crisis. We go from crisis to crisis to crisis. But over time, if you look at what's called a mountain chart that zooms back from 1900 and onward, you can see it grows like a mountain.
0: So right now, we're in the middle of 2021. We're seeing another, in Arkansas, we're seeing an uptick in our COVID cases. I think California's had that. So we may potentially see the market do what it did in 2020. So what are you telling people? What's your advice now for investors in this day and time? It, I mean, it's always, I know, financially unstable, but it's really feels like there's a lot of instability now.
2: Uh, I know. Uh, you know, there's, there's a great uh, philosopher in the market, Don Connolly, who worked for Putnam, uh you know since the 70s and he says it always looks like this time it's different but it never is
0: that's interesting
2: the, the the thing is you know you only put money into the stock market that you can keep there for 5 years or longer otherwise you shouldn't have money in the stock market only put your long term money in the stock market if you're a couple years away from buying a house that goes in the checking account right so we all need long-term money. Money that we're going to either A, save for retirement, or B pass down to our kids. So this is what I learned. When I worked for Payne Weber, you know, there were celebrities coming in all the, all the time in the office, Joe DiMaggio, mayors of New York. So we worked with ultra-high net worth clients. And this is how the rich get richer. They buy quality stocks. They don't buy junk. They don't buy You know, Dogecoin, they that's not what they do. So that's that carried over into my practice in his last, you know, 30 years now in November. I only put my clients
0: into high quality financial instruments. Then I don't have to say I'm sorry. Well, you know, the kids now, everybody's these kids are day traders. So they're not in the market, but for about, you know, from noon to six, yeah, about their attention span. So, what's your opinion on day trading? over the long term you will lose money it's gambling then it's, it's gambling. legalized gambling it's not investing it's just for fun it's the kid who's got dogecoin and has doesn't have enough to do
2: <laughs> yes that's exactly that's exactly the case um, you know I'm a financial planner when and and now we're gonna get into where the happiness comes in because the name of my firm is happiness wealth management I was a senior vice president at Merrill Lynch in Menlo Park home of Facebook, Uh, my wife used to work there, had a corner office top producer, and I'm very grateful for all the, the firms that I worked for and the experience that I got. But I wanted to create a firm where there was no boss on top of us and there was no profit margins for a stock price movement. It was just me and the client on the same side of the table. I also wanted to bring in behavioral finance And I wanted to have the first question when I met with somebody for the first time be, what makes you happy and how can we get more of that in your life? And that's where we start from. And then we come up with goals. What are your dreams? What are are the desires of your heart that you've been putting aside? Do you want to start a charity? What is it that you dream of?
0: And then we plot from there. Are they always financial goals, though, that people have? Or do some people just say, I, you know, I, I want to sleep in on Fridays? I, I mean, is it something that's intrinsic? You know, where, where? okay, great one. Where does happiness lie then? Well,
2: everybody's different, right? You, ha- I have clients that will never retire because working makes them happy. Okay, And then I have clients when I say, okay, you know, when we're doing the financial plan, I'll say, okay, what age do you want to retire? And they'll say tomorrow. <laughs> and that's probably 70% of the answers that I get. Yeah. A lot of people aren't happy with
0: what they do for a living. So because of what they've chosen for a career and yeah, and they think by doing nothing all day, won't make them happy. So, you know, I don't get that.
2: Yeah, me too.
0: Be- because there's something about work that, I don't know, it gives me something to do, pleasure. Yes. I, I would hate the feeling. I, I was one time in a Bible study, I remember the girl, we we're going around the room, telling what we did, and I've been in radio, TV, you know, for since the earth cooled. And um, she said, she and her husband were both retired, and she said, every day is Saturday. And I went, oh, how dull. Like that was the <laughs> last thing. Whereas everybody was going, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I went, no. I I guess I like, you know, having that purpose thing, but I know it's not for everybody. So in in their quest for happiness then, so you're finding out what makes them happy. And then, you know, do you start getting nosy like, and how much do you make and what are your debts? You know, isn't that part of the equation?
2: Oh, I don't start getting nosy. By law, I have to know exactly what's going on financially. So, and you know, here's something funny about my profession that people don't understand. I become like a financial therapist to my clients. And well, so your why.
0: psychology did help you.
2: Yeah, but, but here's why. Here, here's the interesting fact of why. Thanks to shows like Jerry Springer and all those <laughs> reality shows, we yes. see just the worst part of everybody's life. Everyone's just like, this is all my flaws, blah, blah, blah. I don't care, right? There is one taboo left in America. And that taboo is how much do you make? Right. Nobody goes on Jerry Springer and says, I make $36,500. There is no episode that says that. Right. So once I breach that hurdle, which I have to, then the flood doors open up and then they tell me everything. They tell me I don't like this child. I like this child more. I literally become their financial therapist. And to be honest with you, I love it because I love my clients. I have a boutique firm. I only work with people that I love. Wonderful people. So every day is a joy to come into
0: work to help them reach their goals. I'm still hung up on Jerry Springer and who's, who's the baby daddy. I mean, yeah. th- that's what I can think of. You're right. That's not taboo. Yeah, where, no. where you spilled your seed isn't taboo, yeah. but how much you make is taboo. Yeah. It, and that really is something that we've all been told, that we don't talk about how much we make.
2: You don't even tell your family, your sister, your brother. I don't know how much my siblings make. You know, Um, but you said something about that, that, that um, I'd like to get back to you said you're in a Bible study. I love Bible studies, right? Yeah, me too. But so there is nowhere in the Bible that mentions the word retirement. There is, there's no, you know, in Genesis, it doesn't say, and then Moses at the age of 65, got a condo in South Florida and retired to a life. A paddle ball.
0: No, he he was a hustler, yo. Yeah. he he was out there killing it right to the end. Yeah, day it wasn't every day wasn't Saturday for him. It was Monday through Friday. So, but he did have a day of rest, I'm sure, every week. So, what do you think? Our culture is that a Western philosophy? Do the Europeans retire like we do at sixty? They're worse
2: than us. Oh, they they get six weeks off
0: vacation. No holiday. They call it holiday. Yeah. <laughs>
2: They, they they figured this out a long time ago they they get full benefits upon retiring but that's why our economy and our companies make so much more than they or do right if you look if you look at you know i'm a risk manager since 09 i haven't had any international stocks in my portfolio why because i look at risk versus return international stocks as a whole have more risk and produce less in a return. Why was that because want-
0: of the 08 crash though? Cause that was more our crash, well, right? No, it's, just, it's
2: just, from that time on, I decided, okay. where do I think my clients will make the most money with the least risk? And those European companies are on the hook for full retirement benefits. Not so, you know, pensions, things like that. Whereas our companies are
0: not. So let's say, hypothetically, what I know, uh, a woman, uh, she's about 45, she is, uh, you know, driving uh, her minivan that's paid for, and she listens to the Lisa Fisher said podcast to get all, you know, to find out all the things to improve her life. What's the first thing she should be doing?
2: The, the greatest thing that you could do is to put money away in retirement accounts. You want to have six months to a year of emergency funds in your checking account. So if you lose your job, you have money to fall back on. That's number one. Number two, when it goes to saving money, put it into your 401k, open up an IRA. um, And then when those are funded, then you put the money into the stock market outside of a retirement account.
0: So your stock market though is is your retirement account, but it's also your rainy day spending account?
2: Well, what I'm saying is fund your retirement accounts first because those are tax okay, see. right? And then once cuz you can only put so much money into retirement accounts, there are limits. And then once those are fully funded and you've money left over, then put it into a regular brokerage account that's a non-IRA account and put it into, you know, stocks and bonds, whatever your allocation you're comfortable
0: with. Okay, so 6 months to a year is what should be in is that a separate account or is it just in That's your checking, your checking account? account? It's in your checking account. Um, I am also a writer and I wrote an article for the magazine, which I'm the editor a couple of years ago, and it was about uh, financial things. And so I, it was kind of the do's and don'ts. And when I got to the people who represented the don'ts, the don'ted, they're now do's by the way. But what they told me was there was a time that before they employed this philosophy of Saving some money, they if their washing machine broke, five hundred dollars, six hundred dollar appliance, whatever. They didn't have the money to even go buy that. And when I kind of quiz people, trying to find information for it, so many people had that philosophy that they honestly, if their washer they they would I would say if your washer and dryer went out, what would you do? They'd say finance it. And let and I said, let's say that's a thousand dollars. So are people living so paycheck to paycheck? because they're buying the $10 candy coffees or they live in paycheck to paycheck because that's just what the economy, what the economy's is doing right now.
2: You know, it really depends on everybody's situation. It's very different. But I, you know, here's here's the problem that we're up against as a society. Financial planning is not taught in high school. No.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so they have the same spending skills that they had as a child because they were never taught this. Right, and unless you had parents like my parents had a sixth grade education, and they're from Dublin, Ireland. At that time in Ireland, that's all you got. Now go out into the world, right? Go pick a potato. Exactly. Grab a a hammer. That's what my dad did. Right. So they came over in 1959, but they were they were you know my dad was a genius even you know as uh, with that lack of education he read a book a week. Uh, he wrote poetry for 50 years. My favorite line of his poetry is "Love is the center point of living. Ah, that's precious. They bought real estate. They didn't again, I didn't know anything about the stock market because they didn't know anything about it, but they knew real estate. So they bought real estate. Um, and they lived under their means. So that's really the best the best thing that I can give your listeners is to live under your means and save the rest.
0: So what's the best way now we've been budget people and that's how we've stayed married for 34 years is staying within a budget. But what's the best template to start for people? Cause we did the old envelope system in 1988 when we got married and that's done very well for us. But what do people do, you know in this fancy day and age of the internet and you know, you can put anything on your computer.
2: If you're looking for online tools, I have them on my website. I've got budget tools, all sorts of financial tools. Just go to happinesswealthmanagement.com. They're all free, they're all available. So any kind of tool that you're looking for is there.
0: Okay, I'll put that in show notes. I'm writing that down. First of all, my heart
2: goes out to anybody that has lost their job. You know, I, I grew up on the unemployment lines in New York City with my parents. You know, my mom was a seasonal cook. Uh, my dad was in and out of work. So I understand what it's like to to be in a household as a child. And, under. you know, we had government cheese. We had food stamps. You know, it, it's, it's so tough on your psyche. But this is what I would tell them. That this will not last forever. That this too shall pass. That with the right attitude, with the right mindset, You can overcome any problem. In fact, sometimes these setbacks are just a setup for your comeback. What do I mean by that? Sometimes you have to be pushed to the wall to wake up and say, okay, you know what? I didn't save enough, so be it. Maybe I'm not in the right career that pays me enough money. How about I bet on myself? How about I take a chance on myself? What are my strengths? What have I always wanted to do? Why don't I do that now? Now that I don't have a job, why don't I create my own job? What can I do? Sometimes it's that force. Sometimes, you know, for example, when I uh, was putting myself through college, I was working as a waiter in the South Street Seaport in Manhattan. I lived in Queens. It was an hour and a half, sometimes two hours just to get to this job. The, the restaurant was always empty, and I, I, I was getting paid almost nothing to work there and taking all this time. One day on a Saturday, only one cook showed up, and we got slammed. This giant restaurant was filled with people, and it took an hour to get the food out. I went to the table, and I said, I'm so sorry. We only have one cook, and he just can't do it. It's going to take 45 minutes to an hour and this is just the way it is, can I get you more drinks? Well, the lady complained to the manager. Now, the manager knew that there was only one cook, but yet I was fired. I was fired from this terrible job. It was unfair because life, unfortunately, is unfair. And then from that terrible job, I went on to get a a weight job in Times Square, met wonderful people, made about 10 times more money to get me through college and to afford to have a great girlfriend. And so something is, something sometimes so bad that happens to you can turn out to a great thing. So so always look at it as, you know what, so what, now what?
0: It's, I mean, life, I mean, we know the cycles that we go through in life and some of this is seasonal. I can see that because I'm on the other side. You know, I'm a hundred, but I remember being 20 something without a, I, I lost my TV job and, it, it's a terrible feeling. I think one thing these young people don't realize they have now is the ability for distance learning, virtual attending. You know, 30 years ago when I lost my job in TV, I, I had to move to another city to get one. Well now, I, and I or to get more education for that job. Well now, I, I do think that's one thing the pandemic and so many people have said it's brought out is they got a hobby or they developed a skill because they went to YouTube or they, they found the right resources and then they maybe found a new path. So maybe part of it is just carving your new path, getting the hot girlfriend in time. So you could be at the Times Square uh, restaurant.
2: You know, here, here's the beautiful thing about life. I'm a silver lining this guy. I, I truly believe that, you know, life isn't happening to me. It's happening for me. So I teach resilience at Stanford University sometimes, other universities, I get hired by businesses all around the world to talk about resilience. How do you stay positive? You know, one of the things you have to do is you have to plan for peace. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know that in life, things aren't always gonna go the way that you plan. And when that happens, because that's gonna happen, You have to have a backup plan, but you also have to tell yourself, you know what? I'm going to stay in peace. So if you've ever had, you know, everybody likes to fly nonstop, right? But sometimes you can't get nonstop to where you're going. You have to have a layover, sometimes two layovers, and you'll miss your flight. So you have to go and you know what? There's a very good chance I could miss my connecting flight and I'm stuck here. But you know what? I'm not going to give up my peace. I'm going to plan for peace when this happens, and you can do that for traveling. You can do that in your career. Always plan for peace.
0: Well, you sound like you might read that Bible that you oh, Bible yes. studies for. I mean, it sounds like you have a, a spiritual roots with all this. Well, I'm
2: actually a Kingdom Advisor, and a Kingdom Advisor. There's 2,500 of us. We're the country's largest uh, Christian faith-based planning organization right? So we understand that God owns it all, right? Uh, Absolutely. And we understand that that debt is slavery. Now there is two kinds of debt. There's good debt like a mortgage, which lets you live in a beautiful home, take care of your family. But there's bad debt like credit cards, right? Or getting a brand new car when you can't afford it. And a used car will get you to the same places that the new car is going to get you right? So that's all biblical. Um, and when you stay in that beautiful lane, that God centered lane of not cheating on your spouse, understanding that you are here for a purpose, that you will have a much better life than straying off the path into infidelity, into drugs, into alcoholism, you know, Society paints this picture that going off this, you know, you know, it's wine o'clock, all that stuff. Let me tell you something. I grew up in a family with a lot of alcoholics. Wine o'clock doesn't make anybody happy. Okay. So stay in that
0: lighted lane and be a blessing to others. On that, we're dropping the mic. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher said podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.